Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning, and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes, bringing you this program every Sunday morning, same time, same place. And we are expanding across the United States as we speak. Soon we will be in 50 different cities. What a great honor that is for me. And thank you for those of you who stay in touch with us. Remember, we're not trying to raise money. We're not soliciting funds. We're not asking you to join anything. We just want you to listen. Listen so that we can verify and identify God's plan for your life. And if we can do that, you have the freedom and the privacy to orient and adjust to the plan. It's up to you. But my job is to get it right, get it accurate, and pass that information on to you. Because God gave you a brain. You know, you've heard me say a lot of times God gave us two ends. One end we sit with and one end we think with. And uh, success in life depends on which one of those you use. Heads, you'll win. Tails, you'll lose. Life is about making decisions and choices. And you live it in your soul, in the mentality of your soul. God gave you a mind. And he intends for you to use that mind. That's why he said in Philippians 2, 5, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. You have to learn to think correctly. That's why he said in Romans 12, 3, stop thinking of yourself in terms of arrogance beyond what you should think. But think in terms of humility as God has assigned to each one of us a standard of thinking from his word. I remember after I became a Christian, I learned about sin and I learned, you know, sins of the tongue, gossiping, maligning, slandering, lying. I learned about middle attitude sins like worry and fear and agitation and anger and bitterness. And I already knew about overt sins such as drunkenness and etc. But no one had ever really taught me about arrogance, preoccupation with self. And the arrogant sins are one of the greatest sins we as Americans commit daily because we justify what we think is right. We get self-absorbed with it and we destruct ourselves. Self-justification, self-deception, self-absorption, self-destruction. That's the way it goes. And so when, in, when you get into arrogance, then that's when you're beginning to lose all concepts of reality because you don't see yourself as you really are. You see yourself as you think you are. And when you have an unrealistic self-image, then you have unrealistic expectations of how you should be treated. And uh, that's a dangerous way to be. We've got to get back to something. We're in some terrible days in this country. There's an election coming up before long. I don't know who you vote for. It's not my place to talk to you about that because I'm not a politician. But, you know, over the last several weeks, five lessons, we discussed the importance of you being a spiritual influencer. And I'd like to kind of wrap that up with us today, if we can, and talk about how you can persevere and perpetuate us, a free nation, the United States of America, by living under the divine institutions that God set up. I'm going to give a few illustrations of leaders in our nation who were divine institution influencers. And this is what God wants you to do, to be a divine institution influencer. That'll get us back on track as far as a nation who prioritizes God and who prioritizes the divine institutions that he established for us. Because no one else is going to do it. You're the only one that can do it. Remember what the Bible said in Second Chronicles 7:14, "If my people who are called by my name, you are the answer." It's not the answer to go into some city and stop the riots. The answer is you. 
Part of what we're having going on today is divine discipline on this nation because we've forsaken our Father. We've allowed evil to flourish, and we've called all good evil, and all evil is now good. It's changed from what it used to be a few years ago. used to be evil was evil and good was good, but not anymore. And so we have to understand what these divine institutions are, and you have to understand what the pivot is. I'm counting on you that are listening in Oregon, counting on you that are listening in California, counting on you that are listening in Albuquerque. I'm counting on you that are listening in Dallas and Houston and Waco and Tyler, places like that in Jackson, Mississippi. I'm counting on you to be the pivot, the pivot, that small core group of believers that God will use to sustain the nation. It doesn't have to be millions of mature believers, but it has to be a handful It has to be mature believers who live by the principles of grace, who exploit the word of God to the maximum, and who honor the divine institutions. When they come together and form the pivot, then God will keep the nation free and spare us. But as the Bible teaches, and I'll probably get into it next week, the four-generation curse. Four generations of negative volition to the word of God means the nation could be on its way out. And as a free nation, we are facing the fourth generation. And if you think this generation is bad, if you look at what's going on in the streets of our major cities tonight, wait till the next generation comes along. You won't believe it. It might not even be a free America at that time. It's that critical. I'm not a prophet of doom. I'm not trying to read the trends of history. But anyone can look and see what's going on. And we are a divided nation for sure. At least the press tries to make it look that way. There can be a small number of people create a lot of violence and they make it look like a large crowd. By and large, there are millions and millions and millions of Americans that go to work every day, drive down the freeway every day, go to their home every night, and don't bother anybody and don't want to be bothered. But we got problems on the horizon. We have the oligarchy, which are the rich few influencing the agent provocateurs that are stirring up trouble. And you've got to be the agent of change. But it's in your, in your own soul, it's your own spiritual life that will make the influence, the change. The spiritual influencer must be you. Now, what about these divine institutions? This is something God set up, preordained when the world was created. These are his rules of how you have an orderly function within a nation, how you have freedom within a nation, how you have prosperity within a nation. When you get away from these four things, you can guarantee the nation is going to go down. And so God gives you a soul, and in your soul there's mentality. There's volition and you have a consciousness, mentality, volition, consciousness, even a self-consciousness. And you're designed to make decisions by what you think, not by what you feel. If you let your emotions take over, as some people do who get into radical politics, then you're going to make an emotional decision, and that always causes a reaction. Emotional people react to pressure, and people that are mature believers People that understand the plan of God respond to the pressure with faith, not emotions. And that takes some thinking. So God gives you a soul, and within your soul is the mentality to understand what I'm going to tell you today. It's the mentality to understand the divine mandates, and you have to exercise your volition to accept it or reject it. That's up to you. All I can do is point it out and give it to you. And the first word you need to learn and need to remember is volition. God gave you the freedom to choose. I've said it many times on this show, the choices you make determine the life you lead. 
The choices you make determine the life you lead. And all of us made bad decisions in the past, and some of us have recovered from that through faith alone in Christ alone and through spiritual growth. But bad decisions limit future options, and if you make enough bad decisions, you don't have any options left. And so you must understand the most important decision that you can ever make in your life is, as Paul told the Romans, what think ye of Christ? What think ye of Christ? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. It's interesting that a lot of theists, uh, theists believe in God, but they don't put faith in Christ. People say, I know God exists, I know there's a divine being, but I don't know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Well, folks, he is the Son of God. He is the divine Son of God. He was hypostatic union, which meant he was God and man in one body forever. And the disciples had to learn that and understand that. Yes, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And as he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come to God but by me. He even said in John 6, this is the will of the Father, that you believe in me whom he has sent. And this is the most critical issue in your life. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the anointed Son of God? Do you believe that he went to the cross to redeem you out of the slave market of sin and reconcile you to God? Do you believe that by putting your faith in the finished work on the cross where he died in your place that you can be saved? And if you do, you can express that faith in a prayer. I've prayed it many times with thousands of people as I speak across the country. It's just something like this. It's, Heavenly Father, I know I'm lost, and I believe Christ died for me, I want to accept him as my Savior. Heavenly Father, I know I'm lost. I believe Christ died for me, and I want to accept him as my Savior. That's a simple prayer. But when you pray that in private, God hears it. I promise you, he hears it. Now, you won't feel anything. You won't hear angels singing. You won't hear harps harping. You might not even feel emotional, but it's an act of faith, faith in the finished work of Christ. I didn't feel anything when I did it. When I got up off my knees in the little home I was in with a friend, I didn't know exactly what I'd done except I asked God to save me, but it didn't take long to figure out what had happened. A lot of things started changing in my life, and they will change in your life too as you grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So volition is the first divine institution. That's the first issue in salvation. Either you choose to accept or reject God's grace gift of salvation. That's the first thing you must understand. There are no divine institutions without volition. God made us to be free. He didn't make us automatons. And we live in a free nation and a free country that we're losing our freedom every day. And you won't be surprised what the progressives have in store for you when we talk about losing an election or something like that or who's going to change or the new way they want to go. You'll be surprised what you're going to lose. So let me give you an illustration for volition. Ronald Reagan was the 40th president of the United States, a great man, a great president, a great actor. But he said freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. He went on to say we didn't pass it on to our children in our bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, and defend it and then hand it to them with the well-fought lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same thing. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may spend the sunset years of our life telling our children 
and our children's children what it used to be like in America when men were free. I almost feel like that today. So he went on to say, as Americans, we realize that no arsenal or no weapon in the arsenal of the world is so formidable as the will and the moral courage of free men and free women. That's right. Volition is a great thing. Some of you chose to join the military. You chose to become a Marine. You chose to become a sailor. You chose to become an Army, Air Force officer, Coast Guard. You made a volitional decision. Look at who you're married to. You made a volitional decision to get married. Look where you live. Look at your job. That was all your volition. And now you must make a volitional decision to understand the concept of freedom and how important it is to you, how important it is to the future. God honors that. God does not honor tyranny. He does not honor tyranny. That's, that's not honorable at all. And he does not in, in, include that in freedom. Now, the second divine institution is what we call marriage. God set it up, and it is in the Bible, taught in the Bible clearly, although there's a lot of contention about it today. But marriage is a monogamy, which is a permanent relationship between one man and one woman, taught in 1 Corinthians 7, 2 through 4. And ironically, it's the basis for stability in society and for the formation of civilization. Marriage itself is the protection for the home and the rearing of children. You know, Ephesians 6, 1, 2, and 3 talks about children obey your parents in the Lord, honor your father and your mother. Those two words, uh, obey, is a mandate. It means, the Greek word actually is hupotasso, H-U-P-O-T-A-S-S-O, hupotasso. It means to be under the authority. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> it means to be under the authority of your parents. And this is critical for you. And you are to obey your parents. That's authority orientation. That's the first thing that a parent must teach his child is authority orientation. Remember that every child has a sin nature, and that sin nature has to be broken from its own arrogance. And that's what God's been doing to you your whole life, breaking down your arrogance so you'll submit to his will. And a child's arrogance must be broken. A child must learn to respect authority and to obey his parents. And then it says you must honor your father and your mother, and that's a Greek word, tamao, and that means respect. Sometimes fathers and mothers get divorced. The first verse says obey your parents. The second verse says honor your fathers and your mothers. Sometimes they get divorced. But you never have a right to turn on anyone and turn on your mom or turn on your dad. You have a, never have a right to do that. You're to honor them always, even though they may not be able to live together. So remember that. My pastor and his father have taught 70 years of the Word of God, and neither one of them have ever shied away from teaching the biblical truth that legitimate marriage only can occur between one man and one woman. You know who Franklin Graham is, the son of the famous Billy Graham. He said the Bible provides a blueprint for marriage and for his gift, God's gift of sex, in Genesis 2.24. The gift is only to be enjoyed when, within marriage between one man and one woman, and there are no exceptions, such as relationships and partnerships that we see today. So keep that in mind. Our Lord Jesus Christ did not honor any other type of relationship other than marriage of between a man and between a woman, and that's the divine institution number two. Marriage is a great thing because it seals society. 
it, it promotes the sound call, the cause of sound morals and domestic affections and virtues. It distributes the whole of our society into families and creates permanent unions of interest and mutual guardianship of the same. So keep that in mind. The, the marriage is essential. Do you remember when you got married and where it was? You know, people make a big to-do out of it. I've done some big fancy weddings at big fancy country clubs where hundreds of thousands of dollars were spent, and, and, and a year later they're not even together anymore. You know, you ask them, you try to determine, do they really mean this? Are they serious for one another? I think the worst one I ever had lasted a week, and I had grilled them both. Are you sure? Are you sure? Yes, yes. We want to spend the rest of our life together. It lasted one week. Marriage is at best a gamble because it doesn't solve problems. It creates problems. It divides. It doesn't unify always. And if you can't think in like one person, if you can't come together and be amicable as one person, then marriage won't last for you. And adding children to it just adds gas to the fire, I promise you. So the, God ordains marriage, and it's a wonderful thing. And I don't know how you were when you got married. I remember me when I got married, and it was awesome. Although I didn't know what I was doing, I didn't get a handbook on how to be a husband and a father. And now, a few years later, I have four children and a wife, and we've been married a long time. Divine institution number three is the family. And this is a cohesive unit of parents who raise their children. If you don't believe this, you're not going to be able to survive in the future. Freedom, marriage, family. This is what God is looking for, people that will honor these divine institutions and live by these divine institutions. A cohesive unit of parents who raise their children. Now, the Bible in that Ephesian passage says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Provoking your children to wrath is disciplining them unfairly or treating them unfairly. And if there's one thing God does not ordain ever is child abuse. The Bible said it'd be better for a man to have a rock tied around his neck and thrown into the deepest part of the ocean than to abuse a child. So fathers are not allowed to abuse children. But when we have bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, we have two Greek words there, padia and nousia. Nousia and padia. One means to put something in their mind, and padia means to put something on their fanny. And why do you use discipline by putting something on their fanny? To break the arrogance. When a child, when you tell your child, no, don't do that, and they do it anyhow, I mean, you can be a lightly disciplined at first, saying, okay, I told you not to do that, now go to your room. But if they keep doing it, you're going to have to instruct them, you're going to have to break that sin nature. Because the sin natures are going to test you, and there's nothing more tiring than being a parent, especially if you have multiple children, because the time you get through fighting with one, getting that one out the door, the next one comes along, and you got to go through it all over again. They wear you out because they'll test you. But you must understand that God provided certain laws, such as authority of parents to protect, so we can care for, nourish, provide, train our children, discipline them, and prepare them for life. If your child doesn't have a biblical frame of reference, if your child's not ready to accept life, if your child doesn't have some understanding of these divine institutions, then they will drink the Kool-Aid of the devil when they get older. They'll fall in line and they'll protest and they'll march and they'll shout and they'll yell and they don't know what they're even talking about. They're going to be suckered into the devil's world. They'll be bought off by the oligarchy. 
they'll be seduced by the agent provocateurs because you didn't put anything in their brain to counteract what they're hearing. You must train your children. You must give them discipline and training. Give them a verse every day. Put it on a refrigerator. Put it by their bed. Make sure they read the Bible. This is, a, this is critical because parents established recognition of authority. And parents like you must give orientation to principles in life and teach norms and standards, things that are critical to live by. We have a book called Biblical Promises and Principles, and there's a lot of principles in the back of that book, just one-line principles like bad decisions, limit future options. If you want that book, just contact us through the website. We'll send it free to you, and you can read these principles to your kids. But they have to learn biblical principles. They have to learn how to think and think correctly and not be seduced by the devil's world. So that family is a cohesive unit, and Christian parents are mandated, number one, to evangelize their children, give them the gospel, make sure they understand the gospel. So if you don't do that, then what are you giving your children? You have to instill respect in them for the Word of God. Let me tell you what old Walt Disney said one time. Talking about the family, he said, a man should never neglect his family for his business. And Lee Iacocca, do you remember him, the president of Ford Motor Company and CEO and then chairman of Chrysler? He said, the only rock I know that stays steady every time is the only institution that I know who works, and that's the family. That's right. I grew up without a family. I'll admit that to you. My mom was divorced when I was young. I never met my father. I don't know who he is to this day. I'm sure he's dead and gone, but... Never had a father, never had a family. I was always thrown out to live with guardians, people that would get paid $50 a week to take care of me and take care of 10 other kids at the same time. I didn't know how bad it was, but it was, it was bad. And finally, I made a decision to run home, not run away, run home, and tell my mom I'm not living with anybody else. And the closest thing I had to a family was a football coach that took me and loved me and taught me so many things and instilled in me the confidence and the courage to be the man I could be. So now let's go to divine institution number four. We've been through freedom, volition, marriage, family, now nationalism, nationalism. God designed individual nations to protect the freedom and the rights of the people within the nation. God never designed it to be one world government. This is what the Tower of Babel was all about. The national entity is people living within boundaries under a common language. Some speak Japanese, some speak Korean, some speak Chinese, some speak American, some speak French. That's because we live in different nations. God designed it that way. So God established these national entities to protect the human race from self-destructiveness of a one-world state. And this is exactly what the Antichrist will seek to do during the tribulation to set up one world ruler government that he will be in charge of. So keep that in mind. National entities exist to prevent the world from degenerating into chaos. And God sanctions nations like the United States of America to restrain, to retrain, uh, excuse me, restrain man's sin nature by the rule of law. And when the rule of law goes away, which it has today by and large, People seem to be able to burn and torch and kill and murder and not even be punished for it. Then we're in trouble. The rule of law breaks down. We're in trouble. Marriage breaks down. Well, you can see that for yourself. The family breaks down. You can see that for yourself. 
there's another three signs right there that we're in trouble. God sanctions government as the authority to restrain unbridled evil that man, without some sort of boundaries, would commit. Men have sin natures, and there's no telling what they'll do without laws. So government is designed to protect individual volition, to safeguard privacy and keep your property, maintain internal tranquility through the laws of enforcement, and maintain external security through military preparedness. That's the way the Bible teaches it. The police officer, every time you see him, you need to say, thank you, sir. The man in the military, the woman in the military, the woman police officer, every time you see him, thank you, thank you, thank you for your service because they are fulfilling the law of God. They're protecting you. They're watching over you. The scripture does not condone the practice of any tyrant, but neither does oppressive government negate the principle of obedience to authority. So you may have a government you don't like. There may be an election come up and you, your man might not win. The, the Bible doesn't authorize you to start a revolution. The Bible says you are to obey authority, Romans 12, 1 through 3. Obey the, there's no man that has authority unless God gives it to him. And God can take him out at any time. So regardless of the character of the ruler, his office represents a divinely delegated authority in that nation. Remember, it's the office, not the man. That should always be respected. If you don't like the president and you met him, you may say, hey, Donald. But you should say, Mr. President, because you're referring to the office, not to Donald Trump as a person, to the office. Or it could be, hey, Mr. Biden. No, it's Mr. President, if that's who you vote for. So keep that in mind. It's the office, not the man, that we enjoy. Okay? There's a lot of things I want to say about this, but I don't have much time. I will say this. Uh, President Trump made a speech on September the 25th, 2018, where he said, We will never surrender America's sovereignty to the unelected, unaccountable global bureaucracy. That's nationalism. America will be governed by Americans, and we reject the ideology of globalism, and we embrace the doctrine of patriotism. That's exactly right. So keep that in mind as well. Remember that Pledge of Allegiance? I pledge allegiance to the flag. What do those words mean to you? To me, they say, thank you. That's what John Wayne, I'm reading now, the John Wayne Pledge of Allegiance. To him, they said, thank you for your strength and your courage and your freedom, which has been a beacon to the world for over 200 years. Pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, bright 50 states bearing light across the world. That's us. So keep that in mind. You are an American, and you must live by these divine institutions, freedom, marriage, family, nationalism, and you must be a part of the pivot if you want to save this nation. Please listen to what I'm saying. Please make a decision to receive Christ as your Savior. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and let God count you as one of the deliverers who have influence in this nation. Until next week, this is your host, Rick Hughes, saying thank you for listening to The Floodline. Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054 or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.